You're listening to The Morning Muster, where we get sailors together to listen to the weather report and, well, to talk about the most important topics of the day. So grab a cup of hot chai. Or a coffee. I'm Teresa Carey. And I'm Ben Carey. This podcast is produced by Morse Alpha. We offer rigorous coastal and offshore sail training expeditions. Check out morsealpha.com. Our friends Katie and Lyle at SunPowered Yacht helped us expand our solar array. Their SunPower authorized dealer and offer both flexible panels and fixed frame panels ranging from 50 watts to 410 watts. These are super high efficiency solar panels, which means more power in less space. Katie and Lyle are both sailors and have lived off the grid for over eight years. They provide free consultation to help you size and build a DIY system. Check out their website for more info, sunpoweredyachts.com, and use the promo code MORSEALPHA to get 10% off their flexible panels. Now, what I like about the SunPower flexible panel we have is that I can strap it down anywhere as needed, even on the outside of our winter cover to help keep the batteries topped up all winter long. Today's episode is about sailing and racing, both offshore and coastal, single-handed and with crew. We're going to cover it all today. Murray Beach is a lifelong sailor who loves offshore sailing, particularly shorthanded and single-handed sailing. He's participated in a number of races to Bermuda, including the Bermuda 1-2. He's been enjoying shorthanded races out of Newport recently, and he's a regular cruiser of New England waters, often single-handed. Uh, Marie Rogers has sailed and raced extensively on the West Coast. She loves the sport and bringing newcomers to it. She started a community sailing school, is serving as Commodore of her sailing club, and is scheduled to skipper a boat in the 2023 Transpac. Uh, we're excited to have you both on the podcast. Uh, when I was thinking about sailing and racing, which is what we're going to talk about, I was thinking, for me, sailing is a way of slowing down. That's why I like doing it. I like to disconnect, relax a little bit, go places, explore new things. And I guess so that makes me fall more in like the cruiser camp rather than the, the racer camp. And I've always been a low-tech sailor. Uh, we recently did a podcast about the race to Alaska. You guys familiar with that? That is a funky, low-tech race, sails up to Alaska. But racing, normal racing, seems to be quite different from that. It's all about speed and techy stuff. So I want to know what attracts you both to this kind of racing and high-tech and fast sailing. Okay. Hi, guys. Uh, one comment I'd like to make is that I've never raced the race to Alaska, but it fascinates me. And mm-hmm. we had a speaker at our club uh, come and talk about it um, after the first one. Uh, I really wanted to do it the next year. And I don't find that very low tech. In fact, I was so impressed with all the different um, solutions people came up with in order to stay within the guidelines of the notice of race. And Mm -hmm. uh, it it was crazy. Well, as you know, sailing can be as low tech or high tech as you want it to be uh, offshore as well. I don't know if East Coast is that different from West Coast, but it really kind of depends on the event and your budget. One of the reasons I got into racing and I tend to be more in the high tech kind of boat is because my husband is an aerospace engineer. So he's always inventing new, new things for boats and evaluating what works and what doesn't work. He's been a lot of my inspiration in getting out there and racing. Um, 
he doesn't want to participate offshore like I do. He's more, he loves to race uh, locally, but doesn't want to really do offshore. That was really been, been my thing. Um, but I find it fascinating. And as much as I like cruising, I just don't have the time to spend, you know, a month uh, doing so. Like I, I work and I have animals and a house. So I'm really connected to land. But the, the appeal for me for racing uh, just onshore, like day racing or, you know, coastal and uh, offshore is that you, there's a pretty definite amount of time to do it in. And it's super compressed, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's a good and point. I, I like the whole, yeah, I like the whole team effect. So I, I think maybe when I retire, I don't know, I don't know when that's ever going to happen. Uh, <laughs> I would consider doing more um, cruising. Cool. Maria, what about you? Well, I totally agree with what you're saying in terms of um, there are really two types of uh, sailing. One is just unplugging and uh, enjoying uh, being on the water, letting, uh, not really having a plan. Whatever you do, don't put a time limit on your, uh, you know, on your, on your, your destination. Um, and I'll often sail in normal weather with my sails reefed with uh, just cruising along four to five knots, uh, just enjoying, especially formation of the clouds, the mm. dolphins, the whales, the birds, you know, it goes on and on and on. So um, I like that. But racing is an entirely different environment. There, my brain is in uh, 150% power. Uh, I'm always considering and evaluating. I'm vigilant as hell. Um, I'm uh, every tweak of the sail uh, is there to maximize speed. Uh, and it definitely is different uh, coastal or around the can type sailing which I don't do very much of, or long-distance offshore sailing, which is my favorite thing to do. So offshore cruising, you know, going from Boston to Canada or Maine or down to the mid-Atlantic around uh, Cape Cod and, um, and uh, Long Island, those are terrific sails. And obviously going out to Bermuda or the Caribbean are are fantastic sales as well. Uh, most of the time I'm single-handing. With some of my Bermuda races, I've done that with crews. Um, we use a crew of six, mm. including myself. Mm. And that's a very different experience. Absolutely, absolutely radically different. And a lot of leadership, a lot of coordination, a lot of discussion. Mm -hmm. So they're very different environments, all of them. Uh, they're all beautiful. They're exciting. Um, it is, you, you really did capture it at the beginning when you said that you were someone who just enjoyed the experience of kind of being out there. Um, and that is really wonderful. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're right. They are two different things and each one has its own beauty, I, I guess. And I've done, I've done a little bit of racing. I'll just 
a few things. I did um, the Monhegan race last year. Are you familiar with that one? That's 140, yes, right. 140 nautical miles, Portland around Monhegan and back. Right. Uh, but I, I did that on a really small boat. And I was like, oh, this will be fun. I'll learn how to race. But, well, you know, we ended up coming in last. What I was wondering is, how does one get good at going fast? And how does one get started in that, in learning those skills that, that move a boat quickly? So for me, it, um, in terms of learning how to go fast, it took quite a number of years. And I thought I knew pretty early on, but I was kidding myself until I, I really got out on the water with my sailmaker, with some of my crew that I raced to Bermuda with, all who have different experiences. And I'm on a continuous learning curve, even though I've sailed for many, many years now. Um, I still learn things uh, yeah, every I think time we, I'm, I'm we with all are, my, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's really, you know, you get the basics, uh, but then there are so many nuances. And uh, so it's a continuous learning curve. And of course, as you change equipment, add different sales, et cetera, you're constantly being challenged to improve your game. Mm -hmm. But how does one do that? How does one improve their game? What I do is I try to sail with other people or just talk things over. Mm -hmm. um, so for example, with the uh, Bermuda one, two skippers, um, that's a very, very tight group. People who sail single-handedly appreciate everybody else's experience. And uh, it's much tighter, actually, than you might expect, even though we're competitive with each other. So if you ask a question of one of those guys, they usually are an encyclopedia of ideas and their experience. And they love talking about it with other people who do single-handed offshore racing. It's, it's a very, very tight community. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> there are myriad ways to do that. One is... Um, racing as much as possible with a really good skipper on a really good boat with a really good team. And you just, you know, watch what everybody is doing. There are a lot of uh, seminars online of uh, different sailmakers, uh, have sail trim, uh, race, you know, the basics of, you know, of race tactics that you can find that they're easy to Google. And, you know, you might have to drop, you know, a hundred dollars or more mm -hmm. for those. They're fantastic. For example, North U, you know, North Sales has a has a series that they do. Um, stuff is easy to find, but of course, hands-on experience is the best, and uh, that's one of the things I love about racing. Even um, like Mary was talking about going around buoy racing, so you're racing around uh, some cans, and it's kind of hard in in a really big boat, but you know, we could do it. But you know the saying, once you get, well, for racers, once you get two boats together, I mean, you could be sailing along, you have that nice cruising day, right, Marie? And the next thing is like, oh, you see another boat that's similar to yours, you shake out that reef, and you, you, know, you sort of, you know, sheet everything in, and the next thing you know, you're racing. You find out later who that was, and maybe you meet up later for, you know, a cocktail or something. But um, yeah, that's the way to do it, you know? Absolutely. Two, two boats anywhere on the horizon, 
You're in a race almost You're immediately. <laughs> I know. We're all guilty of that. It's fun, though. I get, you know, I, one thing that comes to mind is that weather, I think, play, you know, local weather plays such an important part in, in speed. And I felt like, you know, you're always thinking like, oh, they must have different wind over there where, where they're sailing compared to what I have. And I, and I always feel like, ah, I'm just not getting where I should be with the wind or the puffs or whatever it is. Do you guys feel that way sometimes? I'm such a weather nerd. Mm-hmm. You know, I used the type of sailing I used to do, like I was the wife on the boat, blah, 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 all that. You know, in the beginning, it just wasn't enough. You know, I, I needed to know more. And like, why am I doing this now? Or shouldn't I would ask like my husband or whoever was skipper on, on another boat, like, shouldn't we be doing such and such? Shouldn't we be like, um, you know, traveling down, you know, aren't we a little overpowered or, you know, no, 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 we don't need to do that. And 30 seconds later, they're like, Marie, let that down. Like, it becomes like a control thing. And it's like, eventually I had to buy my own boat so I could, I could make all these determinations myself <laughs> <laughs> and not have to rely. Of course, if somebody else is skipper, then I'm going to do what they say unless it's a safety issue. Or I'll just go ahead and do it if we're, if we're not winning. Then definitely kind of take over. But like Mary was uh, alluding to before, it becomes like a whole different mindset. Not only are you worrying about safety, you know, not, you know, I, I tend to have a bunch of people on the boat. I, I don't do solo sailing. Double handed, yeah. But, you know, you don't want your crew to get hurt. You know, you don't want anything to get fouled. So you're thinking about all the things that could go wrong. But at the same time, yeah, you want to go fast. <laughs> so it uses a lot of your, your head, which is I really like. Yeah, I think what you just said about safety really is paramount, whether you're, whether you're solo or with the crew. Uh, I probably spend more time on that than almost anything in prep. Um, And I try very heavy training with the crew. And then for myself, uh, when I'm solo, I'm extremely disciplined about what I'm doing because when you, uh, when, if you go overboard or you get hit by the boom or, you know, you get injured by yourself, that's a, that's a very serious, your, your, your life is definitely in jeopardy. Yeah, definitely. I just, you had mentioned something about the routine and maybe shift into a little more of an offshore talk, but talking about the routine, because you just mentioned how you're on your game all the time and you take things very seriously and you, you keep a, a good routine. I want to talk about the importance of that. And, and maybe you guys can just tell me about how you keep your routines when you're offshore and uh, how you manage your fatigue. <laughs> That's yeah. a good one. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it depends. Uh, for example, if it's just like a, a two-day or three-day race, it's a little different than like a week or two weeks. But th- that stuff has to be figured out ahead of time. Normally, on boats, there is a, you know, a very strict schedule. And, uh, and you know, your watch schedule has to be adhered to just to be fair for everybody. Or in case somebody gets hurt, you want some people, people that are, are well-rested. And I know for some people, it's really hard for them to go down and sleep when it's time. Like if it's not mm. their typical time to go down, they come up when they shouldn't be up and then they're a wreck when it's time for them to you know, actually be out there working. But it's it's like we were talking about before and uh, Murray said, uh, safety is number one. And if you're fatigued or super sleep deprived or you're not eating right or whatever, 
whoever did the provisioning, you know, you didn't have uh, input to maybe you're have an intolerance for gluten or you're, you're vegetarian or whatever. If you didn't make that, if you weren't on top of that conversation when it was happening, that's, that's too bad because, you know, we're relying on you. So it really becomes imperative that you have a lot of um, communication with your crew beforehand when you're doing the planning. The first ocean crossing that I did was delivering a boat back from Honolulu to Los Angeles. There were four of us. It was a a 70-foot racing sloop that normally has a crew of between 9 and 10 people to actually race it. And with just four of us, uh, we had a really lovely um, schedule where we were we were down for six hours, but we were we had solo watches uh, three times uh, in a twenty four hour period, which was it was quite lovely. But it was you know it was it's kind of nuts. So you're all by yourself, and it could be like two two a.m. and you know maybe the electronics are are freaking out or something, and so sometimes you have to wake people up to kind of help you out or something to get you back on track but it's I could go on forever but depending on, on what's happening whether it's a race or a delivery you're, you're you're never really down like I would imagine when you're cruising you can really shut your brain off but I I know for me and most people that I know even when you're off watch even when you're sleeping I think there's a uh, sort of a running narrative in your head of all the things that could go wrong and so let's say for example if you're sleeping and you know, um, let's say you're on a, a port tack and all of a sudden the boat comes up and you hear a bunch of noise, you're going to be up and out and right away your brain's going to think something's wrong. I need to get my phallies back on and my BFD. You know, it's a thing. Never a dull moment. <laughs> no, no. You can be lying in your bunk and you hear a winch creaking and you're like, okay, I've got to go check and see what that's all about. Yeah, I, um, I think, look, number one, it's all in preparation you know, when I'm got a crew and we're doing an offshore race, I'll start four months before the start of the race in prepping. Uh, and that includes menus, that includes all provisioning, that includes, you know, all the plans, because you don't want to be ad-libbing that as you get toward the start. For myself, the biggest issue is fatigue. And so having a discipline during uh, when you're when you're solo, it is essential to have a discipline. And so I keep a watch schedule. I keep a log every watch. I will have an instruction checklist laid out. And because as I get fatigued and you do get fatigued when you're by yourself, I actually need to be reminded. I want to be able to say, did I drink enough water? Mm-hmm. Did I check, you know, the pins? Did I check for chafe? Did I check, uh, you know, you know, all those things. And, and that actually brings up, uh, you know, planning ahead. It, it, you, you know, you're going to be exhausted, even if you're very good at maintaining a sleep schedule any sort of difficult weather or conditions, et cetera, you'll be stressing. And so it's super important to protect yourself. And so I do that by, quite frankly, reminding myself, and I write that all out ahead of time, and I I flip the page of the binder and I say, okay, I'm on day three, I'm in the fourth watch, 
um, what am I doing? Hmm. So it's, I try to be pretty meticulous and, and, you know, if I agree completely, if it's a two day race, you can almost hold your breath. Uh, but if it starts going out four, five, six, seven, you know, now you're, now you're really draining your, your tank and you have to plan accordingly to not overextend yourself and, uh, be ready for the work that's going to be coming. Yeah, yeah, you'd mentioned something about safety there and making sure you're staying safe. As you know, we run sail training programs on our boat, so I'm always thinking about safety. I take out five students, and some of them have experience, some of them are complete novices, so it's always on the forefront of my mind is making sure people are staying safe and not doing silly things with their fingers or putting themselves in a precarious situation with the boom or something like that. Um, but when, when, you know, sometimes things are intense and you focus on, on the safety, and sometimes you're actually you need to focus on what else is going on, like your jibing or the waves or whatever it happens to be. Something is pretty intense and you don't have the ability to think about the safety while that's happening in the moment or you forget to or you're racing and you have to make some compromises in safety. And I just want to know about um, how do you maintain that, that focus and not get totally caught up in the racing aspect of it and moving as quickly as possible. Safety is number one on, on all the boats I've been on offshore boats. Like we're always after each other. For example, if we see somebody who's not really properly, you know, clipped in, uh, if they're not tethered in right, you know, or they're just being kind of sloppy, you know, I'll just reach over and, and, and hook somebody in Mm -hmm. or, you know, and that, that I've never had a real problem with anybody not doing that. I mean, the, the rules are are established before you're on the crew. Like everybody has to agree that these are the rules that the, the skipper is um, outlining for us. Like we must do these things. We must all be in agreement. Mm-hmm. For example, even on day day races, like my boat, everybody has to have a, P, PD, a, PDF, a PFD on. You have to. Mm-hmm. And if you don't you're just not racing with us. And so maybe we look like, you know, a bunch of dummies, like whatever, but that's what we do on our boat. Everybody knows it. We do too. We all wear PFDs. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, I I think uh, it's number one, two, and three is safety. And (laughs) so I, I try to uh, make it as easy as possible. So for example, uh, the jack lines are very easy to walk along. Uh, you know, a lot of boats, it's very difficult to get around the various, uh, you know, blocks and winches, et cetera, with the jack lines. So you really want to be thinking, let's make this as uh, easy as possible. But I also agree. The first thing I think about is how dangerous is the next move? And, uh, and what do I have to be getting ready for? Uh, and then when I have a crew, for example, uh, everybody, as Maria is saying, everybody has to wear the harnesses and the, and the flotation devices, be tethered, and it's not an option. Um, the one that I'm amazed with is I see boats with some of the crew having a beer that to me is insanity you know uh, the the level of risk that people are taking at that point is crazy so you know i don't have alcohol on my boat 
And I really try to make it as seamless as possible. Uh, you know, coming out of the companion way, you're hooked on. You you do not wait to get it up into the cockpit. You're you're hooked on before you come up the companion way, et cetera, et cetera. You know, everybody has an AIS device on, on and on and on. And everybody's trained to recover man overboard. Um, you know, knock on wood, you know, I've never lost anybody overboard. But um, again, when you're in, you know, just three, four, five foot waves, it's almost impossible to find those people. Oh, yeah. Um, you oh, yeah. really have to be aware that it's, you know, it goes from fun to really serious very quickly. Now, have you guys had any stories or experiences that have led you to implement these rules that you have on board or some some experiences that have given you some insight into safety, maybe some hairy moments? Well, um, I was uh, racing back from Bermuda with on a two-handed race, and uh, one of the competitors Again, you would you're solo in the cockpit while your number two is uh, down below off watch, and a really experienced sailor a wave came through, and he literally went between the lifelines. He got knocked through the lifelines. He wasn't completely out of the boat, but it was impossible for him to get himself, you know, self rescue. He couldn't get through the angle. And luckily, his his crew, you know, heard it. Not immediately. It was the continuous noise that woke up the crew. And, you know, he could have lost his life very easily. He could have, he, you know, it was as scary as you could ever imagine. And this is an incredibly experienced sailor, uh, probably much more experienced than me. And yet, bad things happen. Uh, mm -hmm. So... Luckily, I've never had, you know, I've had bruises and knocks and falls, but nothing that, you know, has like scared the, <laughs> you know, scared the hell out of me, luckily. Uh, I've been in races where just horrible things have happened. I've, we've had near misses. Like one time we were doing this uh, race, it's called the SoCal 300, and it goes from Santa Barbara around the Channel Islands and ends up kind of get close to the Mexico border ends up in, in San Diego. So it's like two or three days mm -hmm. and um, going through the channel islands at night downwind. Uh, none of the guys wanted to reef. I was the only female uh, watch captain and it was really time to reef before it got crazy. And um, there are a lot of new people on the boat, but this is one of those, I think male, female kind of situations. I'm like, guys, like we really need to, to reef now because you know, and change the headsail. And then I was overruled by one of the male watch captains and said, no, we're good for, you know, we have like another hour for this to happen. And then 20 minutes later, all hell broke loose. We weren't ready. <clears throat> so <laughs> we they ended up tearing up a, a number two headsail before it could mm. come down. And then the main never got reefed. So we're going dead downwind with a full main on a 50 foot boat and the, the, there was a lot of uh, following swell. So we were taking turns, all the watch captains, you know, driving this thing. And then um, we were just like a few minutes at a time and then we'd switch off 
And I just got mm-hmm. off the <laughs> got off the wheel to go down to, to to hydrate when all of a sudden the boom came smashing by like no one was ready for it. I was done. <laughs> I didn't do it. And it took out the entire steering station. And no one was hit, thankfully, but it, it did a lot of damage to the boat. But in that same race, the following year, uh, some friends of ours in a similar a boat, a little bigger, uh, the boom did right in that same spot did hit a crew member and they had to be airlifted out and whatnot. Mm, same spot. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's called, they call it the potato patch and I know there are different potato patches around, um, on both coasts, but it was, it was pretty ugly. Uh, I had another situation like that when I, when I did the transpack in 2019 and the, none of the guys wanted to change the change down the size of the spinner current it was really time for us to, According to our sale plan and on the conditions, it was really time to, to, to power down. And, and you know, the guys, once again, I'm the only woman who was advocating this. And um, we went like a extra 10 hours with this. And, you know, I was down. I was asleep. And all of a sudden, I could hear the spinnaker just blowing up. And so we, we lost that. And actually, it really messed us up because we were probably – by the time we got to Honolulu, we were like a, a day, maybe twelve hours later than we should have been because we didn't have all the right, <laughs> all the right sales to, to make it at the end. You mentioned something there that I wanted to tack on to, and um, it, it's about being the only female on the boat. Uh, not that I've ever been there, of course, but I've been to you know race meetings and the ARC rally and that sort of thing, the you know the pre-race meetings, and you look around the room and it's just all all men. Teresa's a big advocate for women in the sailing industry, of course, and I know, Marie, you are as well. And I'm just wondering, what what can I do to help with that as well? You know, it's something I've noticed. I love what you're doing, and, and, and I think that it would be great if, if I could help somehow, too. Well, yeah, it takes a village. I mean, the whole – any kind of sailing, um, safe sailing, whether it's cruising or racing, it, it – you know, historically – been um been pretty exclusive and so the more people you can invite on your boat and share this sport with whether it's cruising or racing day racing of course to begin with it's fabulous that's what we we all could be doing is just inviting more people to sail with us um and then and then just grows from there um you know once i it's a situation is if i'm on a team or a big boat or something most people are very supportive because they know by the time I or anybody has arrived, you know, at that level, like we must know what's going on. But I think the difference is it's not just a white male kind of thing. I think it's a male female thing that males want to protect us. And it's just, I think it's just part of the inherited DNA that guys have that they want to be the protectors and whatnot. And it, and the women, I think part of our training is to, you know, understand that, and graciously say something like, oh, I've got this, and then prove it. <laughs> you know, we're always having to prove ourselves. That's just part of reality. I don't know if that's – that might change one day, but as a person of color and as a female, I'm usually the only unicorn on a boat. I'm just, I'm just so used to it now. Right. Yeah, my, uh, my number one companion is my daughter, mm. and – She's in her mid-30s, and um, she's an excellent sailor. I can say that 
Not so much in the races like the Newport Bermuda race, but for example, in the um, Bermuda 1-2, there are a pretty significant number of women in that event, uh, not so much as the on the solo side, but an awful lot on the two-handed side coming back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are a few that do the solo uh, legs. And the other thing is, uh, at least around me, there are a lot of people introducing women into the sport. And, you know, this is a sport that women can do very, very well. That It doesn't require, in most cases, it doesn't require a huge amount of physical strength. Sometimes that's helpful, but it requires brains, courage, um, you know, thinking ahead. And if the boat is rigged correctly, it doesn't really require a lot of horsepower at all from a physical point of view. It it requires mainly uh, thinking it out. And there, obviously, the women are probably better than we are. So, uh, you know, and clearly... Uh, I can't stress enough, you know, the types of things that Marie is talking about, thinking ahead and getting in front of the um, coming weather is so important. You know, if you're by yourself and all of a sudden the wind shifts up, uh, you know, 10 knots, 15 knots, and you got the wrong sails up, you're probably going to have to heave to and fix your rig before you can keep on going. You can't manage the boat if you're overpowered. It really is not possible. Uh, You need to actually come to a halt and get up into the wind and then change your sails. And so it's really silly to be so aggressive that you're making those miscalculations. It's always better to be more conservative, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That I, I became such a, a weather nerd like early, early on. And I consult people who, you know, have have, you know, navigated, you know, around the world several times for around the world races and, and local races. And it's a fascinating topic. It's amazing to me how many local sailors even for day sales, don't look at the weather like every day before they go out. Yeah, it's key. I just want to point out that something my wife always says when you were talking about uh, the sailing offshore with, with your daughter, I think, about the, the physics on the boat and everything is so big and we all use the mechanical advantage on the boat, the winches and the, the blocks and tackle. Without those tools, none of us would be able to do it. <laughs> and so it kind of puts, puts in perspective that... Um, the difference between men and women is somewhat negligible because we're all using the same tools here to move things that we wouldn't normally be able to move. So it's it's an interesting point when you think about it that way too. Well, I, uh, you know, I, I, in my boat is, even though it's relatively large, everything is in the cockpit. That's right. Um, yeah, the only thing, the only thing that <laughs> it is interesting, the spinnaker, you got to get up in the bow form. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, everything else is hundred percent in the cockpit. And that of course gives you a purchase, uh, for, you know, positioning your body to do the work. And obviously you don't have to get out over the combing to either move or to do the work. And so it's much safer, but you know, you do have to think, I mean, with a boat that where the crew is constantly having to go up and back or where there is 
you know, a lot of pitching and you're not inside the cockpit, you know, that is dangerous. And probably, you know, having a strong left hand to hold on with <laughs> makes a big difference. Yeah, it's an interesting point. You know, I, I wrote an article a while back about the pros of, of going forward to the mass to do, you know, to whatever trim and that sort of thing. And and it's, you know, there's a lot of debate about it. Um, um, we still have our boat rig that you have to go forward to set all the sails. You know, just with the idea that it's good practice to get up there. The more you do it, the more familiar you get with it. And you learn how to get up there. There's pros and cons to it all. Not having to put yourself out there is good. But also being used to it is also good. So. Oh, absolutely. You, you do need to be ready for that. And so in the off season, I will do um, almost literally ballet uh, drills, uh, standing mm. on single foot, you know, balance. It's all about, you know, again, get low. A lot of I see a lot of people just standing up as they're going up to the bow. You know, that's, right. a, you know that, that's a that's a real problem. So. Yep. Get low, yep. stay low. I'd That's like right. to add one more thing about strength um, and being Please a woman do. and whatnot. After the first couple of days, um, it's a it's a whole different game. So if you're going to be racing continuously for a week or more, I mean, I I have been an athlete since high school, and I mean like endurance, like marathons, triathlons, um, weight training, mm-hmm. yoga. Pilates, like all that stuff. It is like the most <laughs> strenuous thing ever, <clears throat> especially if you're coming off watch and there's an emergency and, you know, you're trying to ride the boat or you're trying to, you know, bring sails in or you're trying, you know, and you're on, you know, a, a big boat that, you know, enlisting that kind of strength immediately in an emergency situation requires an incredible amount of strength. And I think people that do it well, either males or females, make it look like really easy, like, oh, I'm going to, you know, race to (laughs) Bermuda. And, you know, there could be a lot. I haven't done the race, but I know people that do it. I mean, the weather can change really quickly, even if you, you know, you study it, you know, things happen. But unless you can enlist that, it's hard. And so we're we're not, I, you know, I don't want to get into like cruise selection and all that kind of stuff, but it's really uh, imperative that whoever's putting a, um, a crew together for an event really understand the, the phys- physical as well as uh, mental capabilities of, of people under stress, under duress. Obviously, the planning, but redundancy in spare parts is super mm-hmm. important if you're offshore. Things are going to break. In, in those conditions, uh, the chance of going, you know, a thousand miles without breaking something slim pretty small so you got to be pretty good uh, you got to be pretty good uh, with being able to replace a broken part or you know sub in something that isn't quite uh, right so i carry an awful lot of you know super strong line uh you know in, if i have to replace anything uh, i'll lash it down and i've i've used that stuff a lot so it's it's important extra blocks yeah, mm-hmm. everything that I, I just need, I know I'm going to need. So planning ahead for the contingency is really important. The other thing I was going to say is I'm surprised at the number of people that don't know how to heave to. And that is by really? far the very best maneuver anybody can do. When in doubt, just heave to and and think it out. You know, forget about racing. Be safe. Yeah, it's it's 
it's sensible. We like to do it a lot just to have lunch. Uh, I think that that run to Bermuda is pretty tough, mm-hmm. actually. Don't you think? I mean, that's one of the tougher runs as far as I know. I've done it so many times, it's never been the same yep. twice. I mean, and the, uh, the most amazing thing is in the Gulf Stream, the world is completely different. You know, yeah. and if you hit it wrong, it's going to be a long race. Mm-hmm. So, and I've, uh, it's funny, uh, I've won and I've come in last. So mm-hmm. it <laughs> conditions and how you how you handle the currents uh, really makes a big difference. Yeah, for sure, yeah. So we, you know, the Marion Bermuda race didn't go, but there was another smaller race with like five or six boats that did go. So I I did that race last summer. That was that was fun. That was the first time I'd done that. I've done been to Bermuda a number of times. It is different every single time. Yeah. And I'd never actually run from Bermuda back to Maine, which I did last year. That's uh, that was a heck of a race going around. I mean, a run going around the, the banks as well. When you get up to the, the Grand Banks or the Georgia's Bank, I mean, pretty pretty severe up there too. Yeah, can so be. So you got to cross the stream and then you got to get around the banks. So Murray, do you ever get up to Maine? You sail up here much? Oh yeah, I um, every summer I'm in Maine, and uh, actually I keep my boat in Buzzards Bay most of the time. But if mm-hmm. there's a hurricane coming. I, I run to Maine, and my uh, my uh, favorite harbor is Buck Harbor, uh, yep. up at the top of Penobscot Bay, and you know where the Egamogan Reach comes up into uh, Penobscot Bay. Yep. It's a perfect harbor for it's a, a lovely spot. Yep, yep, good spot. Yeah, we've ridden out some hurricanes right around the corner, up near Castine. Yeah, Castine's a good place too. Well, good if you're up if you're up here this summer, give a shout because you know. We're right here in Rockland. Oh, yeah. I come to Rockland quite a bit. Yeah, that's where we are. So, yeah, that's great. Well, it's nice to know that. Maria, we're going to have to get you out here on these, this side of the U.S. I love to. It's lovely sailing out yeah. here. If someone needs crew and I'm not working it, it for is. a race. The I only problem with Maine is the lobster pots. I that I'm in, I have enemies out there on the lobster pots. It's, it, it's tricky. It's tricky. Yeah, it is. It can be. Maria, I wanted to ask you something. In particular, and I don't know, Murray, about you, but um, I know you have a Coast Guard license, and uh, I first got my license in 1997, and I had to study for months and months and months. That's a hard test. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was just curious, Murray, you know, why you did it, how it went for you, and, and, and Murray, if you have one, I'm not sure. But, you know, what was your motivation? Because that's 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 a big endeavor. Oh, it was huge because I... I work a lot of hours and stuff at my job <clears throat> and to put that in, I did, I could not go to like one of those two week classes that we have, at least out here in the West coast to right. prep for it. So I had to do it like all myself. And, uh, I did a little online, um, uh, program and stuff to get me through it, but I didn't have a class. I only did it because, um, I wanted to start a community sailing program at my yacht club. And at the time, this is about 10 years ago, I thought, wow, it would be great as our membership started dwindling to start bringing new people in. So training them how to sail. And then they, they have this we have these community sailing boats. And then maybe after that, they get really interested by their own boat and then become regular members. And so that was like the stepping stone. In order for me to have that school, I, need, I needed to have the license. Yeah, good. Murray, I- do you have a license or anything? 
No, I don't. Yeah. Um, I've thought about it, uh, mm -hmm. but I'm not doing anything that requires it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, you know, I take tons of courses, uh, both online and whenever I can find one on land. So uh, I don't think it would be that hard for me to do. It just takes time. Yeah. That brings up another point. The um, These offshore races, uh, we were going to do Marion Bermuda, whew, when was it? A couple of years ago. But uh, they canceled COVID. And, but, you know, th those offshore races have some serious requirements for uh, safety and safety classes. And so I'm sure you both have done a number of those. But just can you give us some uh, insight into the experience and, you know, the benefits of those? Now, the first time I took the, the U.S. sailing offshore safety class, it was a two-day uh, class in San Diego. It's like I never wanted to get on a boat again. I mean, it was like all the horrible things that have happened just by people were cruising, let alone racing, just crazy accidents. You know, they had the actual people who had recovered the bodies there, you know, giving the lecture. And, and it was like, this is crazy. I mean, like equipment that we use that we depend on failing for whatever reason and people perishing and, and whatnot. Anyway, the, the experiences, uh, they're different. There's, mm -hmm. there's one day, there's a two day. And you hear a bunch of horror stories and you learn. Um, but before that, you learn about all, all the equipment, what it's supposed to do, all the different systems that are available to us. Um, but the, you go home with the, um, with the reality that none of this is fail-proof. Uh, fail you must follow all the guidelines, do the best that you can to be safe, but things happen. So, for, for example, um, getting into um, the life raft with uh, full uh, foul weather gear, boots, and my life jacket already deployed, getting into that tiny thing, and then with a, like five other people and then sitting in there kind of simulating what it would be like in the middle of the ocean. We were in a swimming plate <laughs> swimming pool. And it was horrendous because I'm really phobic of you know tiny places and thinking, gosh, it could be like this for hours. Days. Like I, right? I just want to be knocked out. Like, just give me a tranquilizer <laughs> so I don't really have to know what's going on. Um, but um, in the in the transpack I did in, in 2019, we were watching some of our friends on a tracker, and, and they stopped. And it's a really fast boat, much faster than I was on. And it turns out they sank. But they had to deploy the life raft. In, in everything and they were actually rescued but uh, it was a you know it was a fully crewed you know it was like state-of-the-art boat state-of-the-art sailors and they and their boat went down yeah you've gone through the training you know it can go wrong and then when it happens like you know are you going to be ready or are you not going to be ready mm -hmm. i um i agree the I've probably done in the last 12 years at least five uh, safety at sea seminars. Uh, and at first, it's a little bit daunting because obviously what they're doing is they're teaching you first aid, weather, it's, uh, safety procedures, et cetera. And so they focus on things that go wrong. And yeah. of course, um, that's you know the small part of sailing. Um, but I've always learned something that's very, very valuable. I've always met other people who I've enjoyed. So the community around 
It is very, very good. The in the water training that Marie was talking about is very good. I will say that at least of the races that I've been in, um, what has impressed me is they've gotten better and better and better at um, training and safety requirements. And the most strict one that I've seen is the the Bermuda single-handed race. Um, the criteria there is really high and it's everything that you would see in the Newport or Marion Bermuda race and then some. And, uh, and that, you know, if you can, you know, basically if you are ready for one of those races, you're ready. Um, you know, they, they, they have a, a learning curve and they keep adding to the requirements based on experience of the, of the, um, skippers in the, uh, in the race. So I think it's very, very good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty neat. I've done the, um, STCW training, very similar, climbing into life rafts, doing all the drills in the pool. But I think that the safety at sea one is geared for yachts and smaller boats, which is is perfect. So guys, I want to start thinking about wrapping up soon. Imagine, imagine that. Um, I have a, a question for you. We all know about the, uh, the favored tack, right? And we're usually trying to go upwind as efficiently as possible. Because for me, it's like, I want to get to the, the anchorage before dinner. So I'm trying to sail as efficiently as possible so I can get anchored in time. But when you're racing, you're always thinking about those things. So you can save yourself, you know, a minute or two or three, whatever it happens to be. And so when I was living on the vineyard, they were doing the Vineyard Cup Regatta. Maybe you know that one, Murray? Yes. Um, and my friend was racing in it. And so I was out there. I wasn't racing, but I was sailing amongst them. And I decided to go over and say, hi. And, uh, of course, as I did that, I was upwind of him. And so I got close and I blocked his wind. And all of a sudden I realized what I was doing to him. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So I got out of his way. And that sort of thing you guys are thinking about all the time when you're racing. What other sort of things like that, sort of tips to help me strategically when I'm racing? Any ideas for me? You have to know where where you're racing, you know, what the current is at the time of day you expect to be in that spot. You know, no, like Mary was saying, you have to know the weather for the day. You know what the trend is for that week and what it, what the range will probably be that day. You know, know who your crew is, what they're good at. You know, who you have on foredeck is pretty imperative. You know, who your mm. tactician is, if they're really um, uh, experienced, helpful. Um, what the communication style of the boat is, like no yelling. And, even if you have someone who's kind of new on the boat, you want to make sure that as a skipper, you know the, the right trim and all the safety stuff. Um, yeah, for me, um, oh, there are a couple of things. Um, uh, first, I'll say if you're not racing, stay away from the buoys um, <laughs> because everybody else is aimed at the buoys. Um, and that's where the traffic's going to be. So do your mark, you know. 200 yards to starboard, you know, and just stay off of the buoy unless obviously the channel's too narrow. Um, but during the racing, what I, um, found the most valuable is to 
uh, really talk things out before the maneuver is done. Um, you know, for example, you're going to you're going to round the mark and I'll start talking about who's going to do what, when uh, and what the procedure is going to be probably 15 minutes before we get there. And I'll even and if I've got a new person in the crew or relatively less well trained as the others, I'll ask them to play it back for me. Mm. Um, and because, uh, I can tell you, um, you know, for example, my daughter and I are very, very good at planning ahead for things like a rounding of the buoy or changing a head sail or whatever. And, um, we will role play it, um, ahead of time and very carefully. And then, you know, we'll start. And we'll get through it. And I can tell you, the, the you can pick up a heck of a lot of time by doing that stuff right. And uh, and it, it so it is fun to do that too. To be, I wouldn't say flawless. You're never flawless, but to be really sharp in your maneuvers uh, and your and your handling of the rig, uh, that makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Sensible. And if you're not if yeah. you're not a Murray, if you're not sailing with a Murray someone who, who's that on top of it, if I end up on a boat and we're going to do something, I haven't been on the boat before, I'm not sure what we're going to do, then the crew should really ask, like, you know, what are we going to be doing? And and then and then repeat it, do exactly the opposite. Like, okay, so I'm going to do this and I'm going to let this go. And I'm going to bring it and then I'm going to, and then I'm going to do this. And they're like, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing should be left to ambiguity. Mm-hmm. No. No, that's a great, a really good tip and, and a sensible thing to do, no matter if you're racing or not racing. Right. Mm-hmm. If, even if you're just trying to get on a mooring, uh, yep. you know, walk through it. I mean, yep. uh, my wife and I are, you know, as you can imagine, we've picked up probably a thousand moorings. Um, but I always walk through before as we're, you know, within 200 yards of the mooring. This is what we're going to do, et cetera, et cetera. She's usually on the helm. I'm the one with the hook and, um, and, you know, I always go over what my hand signals are going to be, you know, it's too far to the stern. I'm facing the wrong direction. So you can't shout. And so you've got to, so even a simple, uh, and mundane, a drill is that you really want to cover it because, you know, these boats, my boat is uh, 35,000 pounds, um, if you get mm-hmm. it out of uh, out of position, it's going to keep right on going into the next boat. So you want to you you want to be sure what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. It's the same same thing we do, particularly with anchoring. We anchor a lot more than we pick up mooring. So same thing. Exactly. It's smooth. We don't use any communi- words to communicate. It's all hand signals when we come to anchor, or haul the anchor, or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and, and it works. Whatever works for you. Right. Well, oh yeah. We do say one thing. We usually say thank you. <laughs> So always a good idea. Yeah. When you when you hear when you hear us coming into the anchorage, you, all you hear is thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I appreciate the discussion. It's been great, informative and enjoyable. So thank you guys so much for sharing your stories and your passion for this sport. I think it's great. Well, thanks an awful lot. Yeah, it's nice it's nice being here. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to The Morning Muster wherever you get your podcasts or visit morsealpha.com. 
You can also find us on Instagram at MoreSelfaExpeditions. The music is by Tim Erickson, my brother, and you can find him at TimErickssonMusic.com. Until next time, stay found.